Today's scripture reading comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, starting from verse 50 to the end of the book, and can be found on page 815 of your pew Bible. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. I, to, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. May God bless the reading of his word. Uh, we have, uh, my lapel mic or this mic? This, my lapel mic or this mic? Lapel, I guess. Okay, hand signals. All right. Since the text mentions death, I begin with a story, with a report, a medical report from the ER, from a doctor to a patient he thought was being recalcitrant. A blo- the doctor writes this. A blockage in one of your heart arteries has caused part of the heart muscle to die. This is what is commonly called a heart attack. You should remain in the hospital. But since you choose to go home, you should return at any time, even if you change your mind walking down the hallway five minutes from now. If you insist on going home, You should know that you could die at any time. Take a regular aspirin on a daily basis. Now, I love that last little bit. You could die at any time, followed by take an aspirin a day. Now, I know aspirin is supposed to be powerful, but I never thought it was that powerful. This is what my doctor wrote to me two months ago when I went to ER with some chest pains. On my day off, on Wednesday, my day off, I had gone out for a jog. Now, I exercise every day. Normally, I put on a weight vest and go run up a hill four times. And by the time I get to the top of the hill the fourth time, my heart is really doing a number, you know. But I've been feeling a little tired lately, a little run down, so I just went on a light jog for, for a couple of miles. 
And then I got home and about, you know, took off my sweats just to cool down. And about 10 or 15 minutes later, I started having some significant chest pain. Felt like my, my heart was just contracting into a fist. Uh, I went through four, five, four spells of that, this chest pain, about five or ten minutes each time. Five or ten minutes I'd have chest pain, and then, then it would stop, and like I'd roll over to try and get more comfortable, and uh, it would start up again. That was all it took. And then, you know, after about four spells, after about a half an hour, it stopped. So the first thing I did was I put on a bathrobe. So if my wife came home in an hour and found me dead, at least she wouldn't find me dead and half naked. Then I called the medical clinic, my primary care, and I couldn't talk to them. I just told the nurse I was having chest pains, and she went and talked to the doctor, and the doctor says, go to ER. Well, I know some of you are medical doctors, and don't hold this against me, but, you know, once my wife had chest pains, and the doctor said, go to ER. She went to ER. ER checked around and said, you're fine. Don't worry about it. I thought, I don't want to waste a trip. And I have no one to drive me, you know, in an ambulance or what's a lot of hysteria. You know, the ambulance drives up and all this noise and commotion, takes you to a hospital and then finds out it was just indigestion. I don't know. But just in case, so I figured that's not happening. But just in case, I sat down and wrote brief notes to my wife and my kids and my mother just in case it was a heart attack. Then the next day... I was, seemed to be a little uneasy, but not, not, not too bad. So I took the trash to the dump, and I came to work, and I met a guy for lunch, and it was my anniversary. So on my way home, I'm driving past the hospital. And I'm thinking, well, I haven't bought my wife an anniversary present, you see. And I thought, well, if there was one thing she'd want, oh, I hadn't told her, by the way, that I'd had a heart attack yet. I, I mean, I wasn't sure it was a heart attack, right? So I hadn't told her about it. So I figured if there was one thing my wife would want for her anniversary, if she knew I'd had a heart attack, she'd want me to get it checked out. And I equivocated, <laughs> which is really a good sign because she could wish that I didn't get it checked out. You know, that, well, anyway, anyway. So, but I, you know, I, it's just a lot of trouble. So I drove past the hospital, but then I made a U-turn and I figured, well... So I went in, and the docs checked me out, and my EKG was okay, so they said, no, you're okay. But then they, they, they did give a blood test, and the blood test showed some enzyme activity that shouldn't have been there. And so he told me I'd had a heart attack, and he wanted me to spend the night. And the cardiologist would see me in the morning. The bed was uncomfortable. What are they going to do with me that night? They're just going to have me sit in the bed. And the meter will be running. So I told him I was checking out. I was going home. I'd be back in the morning to get it checked out by the cardiologist. So, you know, these doctors were real nice. You know, it's a small local hospital, real kind. You know, he he started scolding me, and then he left to do something, and he came back and scolded me. And then he left, and then he sent the nurse in to scold me. And then he left, and they sent the tech in to scold me. And then he, he, the tech left, and the doctor came in again. And on the way out, the receptionist scolded me. Yeah, uh, don't do this at home. It can be dangerous. <laughs> My greatest concern was if I actually had another heart attack and I was in the hospital. You know, heart attacks run in my family. And everyone I know that's been brought back from a heart attack was upset about it. 
So my greatest concern was if I had a heart attack, I wouldn't be at home. I'd be in the hospital and someone would try and save my life. And then I'd be brought back, you know, half alive. And I didn't want that. Anyway, the next day I went to see the cardiologist who was, by this time he'd gotten over it. You know, he, the cardiologist, they called him and he said, look, don't let the guy out of the hospital. Lay down in front of the door if you have to. Don't let him out. But by the next morning, I guess he figured, he's seen my type before. So I walk in and he says, glad to see you made it. <laughs> and I said, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> you know. Then he asked me to pick out some lottery numbers for him. Now, for those of you who care, this is an L.A., I had an L.A.D. For the, you know, more popular language, uh, this is called the Widowmaker. Uh, my wife came this close to being moderately wealthy from term life insurance. As it happens, I got a stent. I'm okay. I'm as good as new, you know. Uh, two, two things I want to close off with this with. One was, I was really amazed at the credit card companies and how quick they are on these things. Because within a week, I got a solicitation for a new credit card and the big, the ticket, you know, the big sales item pitch was this. Get an early start on your bucket list. Whoa! Huh? I thought it's too late for the early start, guys. You know, this is, you know, really serious bucket time now. The other point, the other moral of all this story was this. I haven't eaten ice cream for two months, or chocolate. I used to eat ice cream by the quart. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, you get halfway through the quart, and it's not worth keeping the rest, so you finish. <laughs> never, never did I eat a quart of ice cream and have a heart attack. I go out on one simple little jog, I come back and I have a heart attack. The lesson to learn from this story. <laughs> Exercise can kill you. <laughs> now we're actually here not to think about my near death, but to think about Jesus' death. And even more to think about his resurrection. But you know, the two are related. In this passage that the presider read for us, we hear that death is related to resurrection. The two are connected. And you know, so lately what we've been doing as we move into Easter, as we head into Easter, what we've been doing is we've been focusing on the question of what difference did Jesus' death make? And we've looked at a number of the different metaphors used for Jesus dying for us and, and the difference it makes. We looked at justification. Now, justification says that, that sin makes me a criminal. It's a capital crime. And I'm headed for execution. And I'm in a court before God, the judge, the omniscient judge, the righteous judge. He knows I'm guilty. I know I'm guilty. And I'm standing there in the dark on trial before God. But Jesus takes my place. And the verdict that was due to be passed on me was passed on him. And the innocence, his innocence, was transferred to me. And so justification. I've been acquitted in a court of law because Jesus died. The difference his death makes. And we looked at redemption. Redemption. 
The idea is that the sin makes us slaves. And redemption is what you do with a slave in the marketplace or a POW who's been captured or held for ransom. And redemption tells us that Jesus paid the ransom so that we could be free. By his death, he ransomed them, ransomed us and brought us freedom. And propitiation. Propitiation, the, the imagery here is of an angry God, hostile toward his people. And yet in propitiation, what we hear is that while God was angry with our sin and angry with us as sinners, he was loving and, and cared deeply for us. And so he took the penalty upon himself in the person of his son. And his son died to appease him that we might not. The difference that death, the difference that death makes Jesus' death deals with our sin. But this morning we want to change direction somewhat. It's still related, but change direction a little bit. The difference a resurrection makes. And we see in the text before us, or we see in the New Testament as a whole, a lot of attention given to the difference that a resurrection makes. And it makes at least three differences. That the resurrection is a victory. All three differences have share this in common. The resurrection, in the resurrection, Jesus is victor over sin. He's victor over death. And he's victor over the devil. And we'll look at a couple of these from this passage this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Turn with me in the Pew Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll take a look at what difference did Jesus' resurrection make? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is page 815 in your pew Bible. Beginning in verse 50. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. And focus here. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? And this is the first victory that Jesus won. His own victory over death. But it's the first victory he passes on to us that we can win this victory over death. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? A couple of times in the course of my treatment, the doctors tried to get my attention, and I understand that their desire is to preserve my life. Uh, I have no death wish, but my desire is to preserve a healthy life. Their desire was just to keep, was to keep me alive, you know, healthy if possible, alive otherwise. But, you know, when they found me uncooperative, the strongest argument they could make is this. If you don't listen to us, you could die. And they made that argument several times. Hey, Doc, 
That's the one certainty is that I'm going to die. It's just a matter of when. So then the argument becomes, you could die early. Now again, doctors, please be tolerant. And I am not advising you to do this with your doctor. But my immediate response, which is better, to die early or to die late? I've seen it both ways. You know, reality is, my kids are through college. Uh, we own our home. We have, a small, we have enough money in retirement for my wife to get through the rest of life without any great financial. Yeah, it's a little early. I wouldn't, my goal is 10 years from now, not today. But what happens if I survive this one and it's 25 years from now, 30 years from now? You could die. What I really wanted to say, but by this time they were pretty annoyed. You could die. I really wanted to say, hey, I got that covered. Or Jesus got that covered. It's okay if I die. You know, fundamentally, I hope there'd be a few sad people, but fundamentally, <laughs> Jesus has that covered. You know, my one concern was this, you know, where we, we think we're reaching near the end of a process of adopting a teenager from Haiti. We think. Now, this guy's an orphan. What would it do? I mean, the guy's already had both his parents die when he was very young. Finally, somebody adopts him and brings him into this country and then dies before he can get here. This is, you know, a guy will end up thinking he's a jinx. I tell you, I knew that a heart attack was coming sooner or later. I would have taken more care of myself had I realized it was sooner rather than later. You know, basically, my father had, uh, well, heart attacks run through the whole family line, as far back as I know, heart attack. But my father had diabetes for 10 years, and he had angina for 10 years, and then he had a heart attack. So I've been waiting for diabetes, and I've been waiting for angina. And then, you know, the thing played a game on me and just got me with a heart attack without diabetes or angina. So I thought I'd have a 10-year delay, but anyway, it came. As I'm laying there thinking... Not knowing, maybe this is angina, you know, heart pain without heart attack. Maybe this is heart attack, I don't know. But I'm laying there thinking, not so bad. You know, is this all you got? I was a, a little anxious because, uh, not about the heart attack, but I mean, with the, with the family history I had, I thought, you know, it's, it's fine. Bravado is fine ahead of time. But when push comes to shove, will I be scared or will I be okay with it? It's not that scary. It was annoying. You know, the heart hurt. I was panting. My teeth hurt. That was the most annoying part of it. Toothache. But it's not that bad. Not because, well, partly because my family has a history of, of being obnoxious about death issues. But not really that. It's this. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Is that the worst you can do to me? Pregnancy hurts more than a heart attack, or giving birth hurts more than a heart attack. Is that the worst you can do? John Donne was a British poet and an Anglican priest in the 1600s. 
And he stayed back to look after his parish when the bubonic plague swept through. He buried hundreds of people. And at one point, he got sick and thought he had contracted bubonic plague and was going to die. Out of the experience, he wrote this poem. I'll paraphrase it to make it easier to understand. Death, don't be proud of yourself. Though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, thou art neither. One short nap we'll take, and then we'll wake eternally. And death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. The first and fundamental message of Easter is this. Death has died. Christ has conquered the grave. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Christ has conquered mortality. He has conquered death. And we can face the future without fear because Christ has come back from the dead to tell us it's defeated. The second lesson we can learn about Christ's resurrection in this passage, take a look at verse 56. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Focus on this. The sting of death is sin. What, what the idea here is this. Why do we die? Uh, because we've been stung. This is not a bee sting. This is a scorpion sting. This is a sting that will kill you. It's a sting that kills us all. As sin the things we do, the, the attitude we have toward God and the things we do that violate his will for us, these things are sin. And scripture says, sin kills. We die because we're sinners. So when scripture tells us that death has been swallowed up in victory, what it's telling us is that Christ has dealt with the sin problem. And that's what we've been looking at the last few weeks. Christ is not victor only over death, because he can't be victor only over death. In order to be victor over death, he has to be victor over sin. And we've seen that sin makes us guilty in the court of God. And Jesus took away our guilt. We've seen that sin makes us slaves. And Jesus paid the ransom to free us from slavery. We've seen that sin makes God angry, angry enough to destroy, but still he loves and he takes that anger on himself and Jesus dies to take away that anger. Death is no threat because Jesus has dealt with sin. He's taken it away. He's taken it as far away as east is from the west, as Everest is from the sea. He has won our victory for us, a victory over death and a victory over sin and its consequences. And in this passage, Jesus wins a third victory. Take a look at verse 58. Therefore, Paul writes, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. 
Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Jesus wins a third victory, not only over death, not only over sin, but also over futility. This is the motivator that has driven me for much of my life. Not the fear of death, but the fear of a life wasted. I went to college to study international affairs. I had been studying Russian and French for a few years, and I wanted to work for the State Department and be involved in international relations overseas. And then, maybe it was my senior year of high school or my freshman year of college, my freshman year of college, Henry Kissinger was involved as Secretary of State. The U.S. signed a pact with North Vietnam, the Paris Peace Accords, in uh, Paris uh, to end the Vietnam War. And it was a sham. It was an obvious sham. It was withdrawal or defeat with honor. That's all it was. Because the South Vietnamese were not even at that table. They refused to take part in those talks, and the talks went on without them. And the U.S. and North Vietnam signed a treaty that you knew wasn't going to last. And it didn't. Within six months, the war had resumed. Within a couple of years, the South fell. And I thought, even in my noblest aspirations and highest ambitions, I could never reach the position that Henry Kissinger was in. And yet the pinnacle of his career, for which he was nominated for a Peace Prize, it was futile. It was never going to last. And you knew it at the time. And that's what drove me. You know, I thought I, I, at a young age I had a decision. After I got through college, I had a decision. I sought some advice and, you know, had a decision whether to go into business and, or, or go, in, go into business or go into ministry. And I didn't realize then, we'll be looking at this, you can find a meaningful life. You can make a serious contribution in business. I didn't realize then that it was possible. And we'll be looking at it over the next month or so about how we can use our vocations to shape the work of God, to advance the kingdom of God. I was naive. I didn't, wasn't so aware of that kind of thing. But what drove me into ministry was this, that I wanted to spend my life in a pursuit that had eternal consequences. I wanted to see people's lives changed. And I wanted to have a part in that. Now, you can do that through business. You really can. I had one year I had working before I went into ministry. And I'll tell you, I had more chances to evangelize at work than I've ever had in the church. So you got plenty of opportunity through your fields to influence the kingdom of God in a whole variety of ways. And we'll look at that in the next month. But... All I'm trying to illustrate is the thing that drove me, is I was concerned about my life being futile. And you know, ironically, even in ministry, a fair bit of what I do is administrative, you could call futile work. Some of it, some of my work is frustrating. Now, you guys are a real kind, generous, good church, you know. Most of the time. And most of you. One of the advantages of having had this heart attack is now anyone gives me any trouble. All right? All I got to do is grab my chest. 
And the best part of it is I can tell you that's what I'm going to do. And you still won't know for sure whether I'm bluffing you or whether you're giving me a heart attack. Now you really have to behave. And I'm looking forward to milking this for everything I can. But, but here's the promise. Whether we're in business or in international affairs or in ministry, here's the promise. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The resurrection promises us that lives that we influence for eternity will be for eternity. They will be raised. They will live forever. And we have opportunity to play a part in that. God's the major actor, but he's inviting us to be part of that. To be part of his work. To shape eternity. We have the opportunity. We look ahead. We have the opportunity when we go to heaven to think, there's some people here that are here because of me. Of course it's because of Christ. But Christ uses us. And this is the promise of the resurrection. Now think about Paul when he wrote these letters. Paul had given more of his life to the Corinthian church than to any other. He spent 18 months. Paul could go into a city and get uh, there'd be riots within three weeks and he'd have to flee for his life. He went to Corinth and he stayed there 18 months. And they were probably the worst church that he ever had to deal with. Sexual immorality, idolatry. Paul went back to Corinth to straighten the church out and they kicked him out of the church. He had to leave, they were so angry with him. And he had to send somebody else there to try and patch up the work. And then in 2 Corinthians, they're faulting his preaching, they're faulting his stage presence. Constant criticism. And yet as he thinks about these people who have caused him so much heartache, after so much ministry, he says this, Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I know my labor in the Lord is not in vain, he says. Are there things that you're doing for God and you're not seeing the results you'd hoped? You're looking at it and saying, is there any point? Am I ever going to be successful at this? This is the promise of God. That Jesus has won victory over death. That Jesus has won victory over sin. That Jesus has won victory over futility. Verse 57. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I know that this whole approach could fall glibly on many of you because you are so young and see me as so old. <laughs> but I remember when I came to faith at 17. I remember when I made career decisions at 20. I remember when I was in the position that younger than most of you And I would tell you, I can remember 
when I was where you are. And it'll be real quick. And you'll be where I am. And the real question that comes to us at Easter is this. How will we live in the light of how Jesus has risen? He offers us victory over mortality. He offers us victory over sin. He offers us victory over futility. He, in his resurrection, has done all of this. And now he invites us to share in it. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Jesus, we would honor you for this victory you've won. Jesus, we would celebrate that you invite us to join in this victory. We offer you our praise. Amen.